0: It is so good to see all of your faces. When I came in here and sat down earlier, I was like, oh maybe no one is coming today. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It's May. I know we've got graduations and we've got proms and the derby was yesterday. Um, at my house this morning, as I was trying to get ready to come to church, there was no electricity. Did anybody else Was anybody else impacted by this? A few, yeah. Yeah, Broward people. My Broward folks here. Somebody evidently hit a, hit a light pole. I hope they're okay. But uh, we wondered if we were going to be able to get here. But we all made it, and I'm so glad to see each and every one of your faces. Um, I have a question for you all as we get started. I want you to think about your home or your office, one of your spaces, and I want you to think about if you have an object that is there that some people might think is a little odd. You know, it's something that is maybe significant to you, and you know why it's there, but anybody else would see that object sitting there and kind of be like, what is that? Why is that in this space? All right, I hear giggles. So, enough giggles that I'm going to have you turn to your, your neighbor and tell them what that object is for you. Go. My dad raised his hand, and my mom made him put his hand down, which makes me nervous and curious at the same time. I'll talk to you all after the service. Um, a stove. Why, why would that be odd in our house, Dad? It's never been turned on. Oh, man. We got to be careful in here, y'all. You're supposed to talk about your object, not someone else's, all right? Someone want to tell me about their odd object, yes,? Ah. Oh, ah. y'all, I'm going to be in so much trouble. I thought this was going to be all right. Lincoln, your computer that never works. All right. Anybody have an odd object in their space? Miss Brenda me. you <laughs> you're pretty special. We were me and Carla were saying we want to be we want to meet Miss Brenda when we grow up. um anybody else evan (laughs) is that a conversation starter at times for you for you yeah i can see that yep i love it anybody else are these odd objects so embarrassing no one can tell me what they are pam vincent your telescope yeah yeah, that's not normally where you would see one, right? Yeah, all right. Yes. My wife would
1: never say it,
0: but I make fishing worms. Fishing worm fish worms. There you go. Yeah, that that does it. You know, in in my office, I have a few unusual things. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked about my love for Mitzi from uh, Showbiz Pizza, and since that time, I have collected several several tokens of it. Actually. Um, Kathy here has found me a doll, uh, but um, surprisingly, that's not the most odd thing that is in my my office. Uh, perhaps one of the most odd things there is this brick, which is kind of random, right? Um, a lot of times it sits on a shelf and it just like kind of collects some dust. Um, sometimes it becomes a doorstop. Um, Because I do have one of those little basketball goals on the back of my door, and it makes my door swing back and forth. So sometimes it's what holds that down. Um, At other times, it becomes like my picture proper upper, you know, like something needs to lean up against it. And then at other times, when Jeremy comes into my office, and he's giving me especially a hard time, I have to be honest and say I have contemplated whether or not I should just, like, toss it in his direction very gently, of course, right? But if you think about it, none of those things are this brick's purpose, right? A brick wasn't made to be um, a decoration. It wasn't made to be a doorstop. It wasn't made to be a picture proper upper or definitely not a weapon. So I won't use it that way. Um, No, uh, in fact, like a brick in and of itself, um, it really doesn't find its purpose on its own at all. A brick was made... To be united to other bricks, wasn't it? And it's only as it's united to those other bricks that its purpose begins to emerge. Um, they were made to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They were made to support and to be supported. They were meant to stand strong together and create a structure that is significant that serves others. First Peter chapter 2, it says that we are kind of like this brick which might sound weird. But hang with me here, all right? He actually says that we are living stones. Which doesn't make any sense, does it, when you think about it? Living stones, two things that do not fit together. They're an oxymoron. Um, you know, a rock A stone is an inanimate object, right? There is no life in it. In fact, if you look up inanimate object and you Google it like I did, it will say, and a a thing that has a thing that is not alive, and then it lists things. And what's the first thing it lists? a rock, right? There is no life in a rock, although for a brief period of time in the 70s, they did try to make this kind of a thing. There was pet rocks, right? Um, Did anybody have a pet rock? Oh, look at Tammy. Oh, David did too. Did you all name your rocks? Rocky, that's a great name. Very original. I like that, Tammy. David, what about you? Did you name your rock? You can't... (laughs) you are a dangerous crowd. (laughs) you are dangerous. All right. No more, no more questions. Every question is rhetorical from this part forward. But, um, yeah, back in the seventies, like they slickly packaged this, you know, you could get your rock, which, you know, you paid money to go get, to give your kids something that you probably could have gotten out of your backyard. But, um, I think we all knew that this wasn't a living thing. And if you kind of think that it is, we're going to have a special prayer service after uh, church today out in the welcome center. Uh, but um, people would get these. Um, they would play with them for a while. But it uh, was only a fad for like six months because people would get these rocks, and what we all know to be true that we're talking about was experience. Kids would try to make their rock their best friend, but there was no life in them, and so it just didn't work. Um, they gave it their their best shot. It had a nice run, uh, but soon pet rocks were a thing of the past. But here we have Peter talking about living stones. It's supposed to grab our attention, right? It's supposed to make us read that and stop and go, huh? It's supposed to make us wrestle a little bit at what he's getting at. And so let's dig in and see what we can discover about this picture that he's giving us in 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, it starts, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. And so the first thing we notice when we look at this passage is that we only become living stones because first there is the living stone. Did you catch that? The living stone, Jesus. The Jewish people, they had been, been waiting for hundreds of years for this day when God was going to come and he was going to dwell with his people. They had been watching and waiting for this day when, when he would restore the nation of Israel and he would literally like come down from heaven and live in a new temple and he would do that forever. A part of them looking forward to this was this tradition about talking about this new temple being built on a rock. And so all this time, God's people, they have been watching and they've been waiting for the right rock to come along upon which this new temple could be built. Of course, when this right rock did finally come along, what did the people do with it? <laughs> they rejected it, right? Right? When that right rock, Jesus did show up, he was rejected. He was thrown into like that, that pile of rocks that had been decided that they were unusable, that they were unimportant, that they were unneeded. He didn't fit into the people's preconceived plans and, and notions, only to later discover that this rock that they have thrown over into essentially the trash pile was actually Not only a rock that they needed, that it wasn't just a rock that fit into the plan, but rather it was the most important rock of all, that this rock was actually the cornerstone. Now, I'm not a builder. I'm not an architect. For me, when I look at a building, I'm like, ooh, pretty, right? Um, If I'm walking along and I see one of these stones, you know, like, oh, great. It gives me some information usually, like the year that a building was built or uh, maybe the name of the building or the address. But um, in architecture, traditionally, a cornerstone was so much more than just like this decorative piece. In architecture, the cornerstone was actually the very first stone that was laid in a structure. And so because it was the first stone that was laid, it became the reference by which every other stone in the entire building was laid. It is what oriented a building in a specific direction. And so Peter is saying to us, that is Jesus. He is the cornerstone. He is the first. He is the one um, who is the reference. He is the one who gives all of our lives direction. To put it in another way, and not a great pun, so y'all just hang with me here. This is like Pastor Wayne level joke here. But to put it another way, Jesus is the rock star, okay? You can groan. It's all right. Um... He's the rock star, though. Like, he is the standout. He is the most important, not just by a little bit, but a whole lot. No other stone can compare to him. He is the one who bears all the weight and who brings all things together. Without him, all the rest of us, we have no direction. We have no place at all. But because of him, the rest of us can now find true purpose for our lives. And so let's look at first Peter again. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Through Jesus, we discover that we were never meant to be bricks. <laughs> we were never meant to be stones. We were never meant to be rocks that exist all on our own. We discover that we were made to be united, united first to Jesus and then to each other in order to to create something larger than ourselves, in order to create what he calls here a spiritual house, which is probably better translated a spiritual household. Because the word that is used here by Peter is is not so much talking about the structure, the physical structure of a house, as it is about that thing that truly makes a house a home. It's talking about the relationships that exist there. And so what he's saying is like, you and I, we are a part of this web of relationships. We are a part of this community that enlivened and empowered by the Holy Spirit serves others. And so let's think about how that was true for the person who's writing this letter, for the person who we know as Peter. But that wasn't always his name, right? His name that his mom, his family gave him was Simon. And it's not like he woke up one day and said, you know what, there's too many Simons out there. I think I'll just change my name. Um, I use that as an example because I know a little girl who actually did that. Um, her name was Haley. And um, I guess in the late 90s, Haley was like the popular name, like in the 80s when I was born, like Brandy or Brooke. You know, there was just like lots of Haley's in her class. And, um, and so Haley had gone to school and had a couple of other Haley's in her room. And when her parents came to visit her teacher later in the year, they kept hearing the teacher talk about Piper. And they're like, Piper? And they see their own daughter look up. That was actually her middle name. But she told the teacher from the beginning, we'll clear this up. Don't call me Haley. I'm Piper now. And still today, she's a junior in college, maybe. Scott knows Piper. Uh, Piper Coleman. Uh, She's known as Piper. She just decided on a whim, like... I'm gonna be known this as this from here on out. Lincoln, don't get any ideas. You can't just change your name, okay? Yes. Um, but that's that's not what Simon is doing here. He didn't decide, like, I'm gonna be known by a different name now. Um, instead, what happens is he's going through life, he's doing his thing, he's plying his trade, he's following in the family business, and uh and as he's doing this, you know what we discover, just knowing this very thing about him as I've told you in the past, tells us that he probably wasn't amongst the best and the brightest. If he had been amongst the best and the brightest, he would have already been um, a disciple of another rabbi. He would have already been following them around. But Jesus calls him to himself, and Peter's, or Simon, he starts coming fully alive. In fact, he's the first person to really get it And to say it out loud, he's the first person who says to Jesus, I see who you really are. I see that you are the rock, that you are the stone that all of us have been waiting for. I can see that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And it was at that point that Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, from Simon to Rocky, like uh, like Tammy's rock back there. It's at that point he becomes this living stone. The first in this community that Jesus was building, the first to be placed upon this cornerstone. But he certainly wouldn't be the last, right? From the beginning, Jesus was always uniting. Peter to these 11 other guys that were following him around. And they were a ragtag bunch, you guys. Like, they had all these different personalities, all these different experiences, all these different backgrounds, all these fun um, all these fun quirks that I'm sure was, was interesting to watch this team kind of come together. If you've ever been a part of team formation, you know that it can be interesting at times, right? And so I can just imagine, you know, like Jesus calling Matthew a tax collector who was hated by everyone else, that was considered a traitor and a cheater. You know, I can just imagine Jesus saying, hey, welcome to the inner circle, and all the other disciples giving Jesus the side eye, right? And I can just hear their whispers like, yeah, we know, like he keeps talking about forgiveness and grace, but surely, surely there has to be a line. But as all these different guys start coming together, despite all this tension that had to exist between them, this community, this spiritual house was being built and brought together through their shared connection to Jesus. He stacked them one upon another upon another, and they became this support system to each other. You know, I think about Peter and how he was a support system to those who were around him, but how he needed that support system himself You know how he needed those other bricks, those other disciples, those other followers of Jesus to hold him up at times. Like when he tried to walk out on the water and he fell in and had to wrestle with failure. Or like when he denied Jesus three times and he struggled to forgive himself. These disciples, they were bound together by their love. By their love first for Jesus and their love for one another. And this would become the very thing that made them stand out, that made them be distinctive in our world. Jesus, right before he died, he told them that the whole world is going to know that you are my disciples by what? What did he say? By your love for one another. And sure enough, after Jesus's death and resurrection and his ascension back into heaven, they were adding people to their number every single day they were adding more and more people to this um, spiritual house that Jesus was building up on himself. Why? Because people could see that something different was happening, something that looked different from the rest of the world. They could see that there were people who were genuinely and authentically caring for and supporting one another because of their love for Jesus, and they wanted to be a part of that. Now, in this letter that Peter is writing, He's writing to a group of people, to Gentiles, who'd always been told that there was no place for them in the family of God. He's writing to this group of people, the Gentiles, who had been told that their place was in that kind of trash pile, that they were unwanted, that they were unneeded, that they were unusable in this thing that God was doing in the world. But now what Peter wants them to know is that they are living stones as well. That they have a place in this spiritual house that Jesus is building. He goes on to tell them that they too have been chosen just as much as anyone else. He goes on and tells them that they too are a part of the royal priesthood set apart to serve others, that they too are a part of this holy nation, that they too have been called out of darkness and called into God's marvelous light. He says to them, yes, you might have been rejected by others, but guess what? So is Jesus. And so once you might not have had a people, but now Jesus says that you are are his. Peter wanted these people to know that they too were living stones being built into this spiritual house. And he wants all of us to know the same. You and I, we were never meant to exist on our own. We too find our true purpose as we are joined first to Jesus and then to one another. We were made to support and to be supported, to stand strong together so that we can then serve the world around us. Truth be told, this uh, brick once served that purpose. This brick once stood with many other bricks at the corner of Broadway and the Bypass. If you know where Kentucky Fried Chicken is, Right across from there is where the very first Broadway United, or wasn't United, but Broadway Methodist Church stood many years ago. And this brick, it was a part of that. Within the walls that this brick helped create, people were invited to come fully alive through a relationship with Jesus Within the walls that this brick helped create, people grew in their love for God and their love for others. Within the walls, this brick helped create, people served Christ for the transformation of our world. This brick played a part in creating a brave space, not a perfect space that always gets it right, but a brave space where human beings could come in and try to learn how to love each other and then be sent out to love others in the world. This brick stood with many other bricks, to create a distinctive community that was a light, that that gave flavor to our world, that was blessed, to be a blessing to others. Uh, when Broadway United Methodist Church was um, looking to merge together with Greenwood United Methodist Church to form this campus that we're a part of now, someone came to um, our senior pastor, Rick Bard, um, at, that, at that time, and, and they asked him, does the world really need more churches? (laughs) I mean, it's a good question, right? (laughs) It is. I mean, we can go out and we can stand on our front porch and we can kind of like throw a rock in any direction and kind of hit another church in this community, right? So it is a good question. (laughs) Does the world need any more churches? Rick was always kind of quick on his feet, and so um, this is what he told them. He said, I don't know if the world needs more churches, but what I do know is that our world needs more healthy churches. And it still does. Our world still needs churches that remember their true purpose and not only remember it but live into that purpose. Our world still needs spiritual households built like living stones whose love is the thing that makes them stand out, whose love is the thing that makes them distinctive so that others can discover that they were never meant to go to this life alone as well. Um, One of the ways that this campus um, has sought to, to to love others in the community around us since it's been established here is by mentoring in um, the school in our backyard, Cumberland Trace Elementary School. Uh, Whenever we talked with um, our schools at that point in time, one of the things they told us is that this was a need that they had. They knew that by placing just even one extra adult in the life of a child could make a big difference. You know, that extra voice of encouragement, that extra person cheering them on, could help change the trajectory of their lives. And so whenever we started that, I mean, probably 15 years ago, um, Missy Cunningham, who many of you all know, stepped up and she signed on to be a mentor. Um, she mentored at the school. She mentors our kids downstairs too. Um, so you, you've probably seen her there. But um, And so she started to meet with this little girl consistently. We just would go once a week to be with these children. And um, as she went, and she got to know this little girl, her teacher started to notice a difference in this kid's schoolwork. Um, The little girl was in the fourth grade at the time, and for the very first time that year, this little girl made the honor row. And so Missy, she kept cheering this little girl on. And uh, she was with her all the three years she had left in elementary school. And then Missy has stayed in touch with her. She checks in with her like three or four times every year to just see how life is going. And a couple of days ago, I got this picture from Missy um, of this young lady who she mentored all those years ago who just graduated from Western, (laughs) which is amazing, right? Missy supported that girl. But guess what? You guys have supported Missy with your love as she has been sent out to serve in the world. The presence of this healthy, loving church, it mattered to that girl. I have to tell you all, it it matters a great deal to me. Um, You know, my role here is to support you all, right? Mm Right. But we all need support at times. <laughs> and so um, it's not a secret that um, last month I went through, uh, or last couple months, I went through a very difficult time where I um, struggled with anxiety to the point it had kind of like taken over my body. and um, And so it was hard for me to let other people support me. I think it's hard for a lot of us. But you all supported me whether I wanted you to or not, which I appreciate, you know. It was pretty great Um, because, you know, the cards, the phone calls, the text, the food, and the food, and the food. Um, I had one person in this room who just showed up on my doorstep at 8 o'clock at night and just gave me a big hug and said, that's all. I'll see you later. but through all that, because, you know, anxiety tells you lots of lies, right? It, that's, that's a horrible part of it. You can lose sense with reality pretty quick. But because of you all being my support system, like, I never lost sight of who I was. And I never lost sight of the fact that I was loved. We get to do that for each other, guys. It's kind of a big deal, <laughs> a very big deal. This community that we share, it matters. Um, It mattered to a young lady named Jenny Smith as well. She worships over at the Melrose campus. And and I want you all to hear um, her story today of how you all showed up for her when she needed it the very most. How she experienced hope and healing through this community that we're creating together. Let's watch.
1: I'm Jenny Smith. I've been a member at Broadway since 2015. My husband and I have been married for almost 11 years and we have four girls. We tell everyone this is our home and we're happy to hear girls are growing up here and they love it. So we can imagine going anywhere else. Um, March 4th of 2018 has started like any other day. Um, my husband James was at work. We had came to church. After church, we went to a friend's house with my daughter's friends to have a play date. While I was there, I got a phone call from my dad, and he had said my sister-in-law had been in a car accident and had died. Um, she was also six months pregnant at the time. My first phone call was my husband, left him a message him what was going on, and then my next phone call was to Cindy Hughes, who's a good friend of ours. Um, told her, hey, this was going on, I'm heading that way. And her first question out of her mouth was, does Adam and I need to come? I remember walking out and telling Cindy and Adam I was an aunt for four hours. And just remember Cindy wrapping her arms around me and letting me just cry. I remember um, over time just starting to get mad. I was mad at God, I was like, Remember not being able to listen to Christian music, not being able to hear how good of a God He was, because to me He was uncaring, not even loving at the time. Because I was like, how can You love us and do this to us? They came the day of the funeral, and as you remember, sitting there during the funeral, and the pastor was talking about how, oh, you know, God loves us, and and I just like, I don't want to hear this. Like, no, He doesn't love us right now. I remember the Sunday after the the funeral, we came to church and I remember walking in and just so many people coming up to us and going, how are you guys doing? Is there anything we can do? And not just saying it to be kind, but to actually mean it. And I just remember telling a lot of them saying, I'm angry, I'm mad at God. I don't wanna talk to him. This isn't fair. And that's when I was given the permission and the support of saying it's okay to be angry and that anger was a while <laughs> i'm saying not just a few days i'm saying probably weeks to a month if not more um then as that time went on um my church was definitely supportive not even like they were supportive, not even through the weeks but the months and even years later i'm still being supported um It's through the church that I found healing. Um, I was allowed to be angry. I grew up being basically told you weren't allowed to be angry at God. You weren't allowed to question why he did what he did. We kind of figure out how to tell our girls what was going on, how to address it, how to kind of keep their lives normal. I mean, it's through the community and family members who are strong praying Christians that helped us through this. Um, and so it's because of that in the community that I found healing. Um, there's days that I see something that reminds me of her or something that brings up her memory or a picture. And I feel that anger again and that hurt. But then I turn around and I remember I have a church who supports me and that there's that God's there. We're back to talking again. God and I (laughs) are, um, we, we started talking again, probably I was always praying. I never stopped praying, but those prayers were kind of like autopilot. After i gotten kind of through the grief process and finally was, okay, I'm done being angry. I'm not going to get the answers. I do feel like if I try to make sense of it all, I would drive myself crazy. And I just, I've come over, learned over the years, it's not going to be tied up in a nice pretty bow. And, you know, that's part of living the faith and being a Christian. I always tell people, my church is a church of love. They're there for everyone. They're the thick, the thin, and the pretty, the ugly. And I can attest to that because that was a pretty ugly, tragic situation, unexpected situation. And they were there the entire time, even, even to this day. I just can't imagine not having my community with me.